This is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Good to have your company on the Sounding Board, episode six of series six for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. There's been a massive week of media moments. Meghan and Harry, we'll get to that in a moment with uh, Oprah. Christian Porter's extraordinary media conference. Nathan Buckley breaking his silence. And a couple of very, very senior international journalists pranked by a YouTube setup. Uh, Craig Hutchison's in Sydney. Damien Barrett here in Melbourne. G'day, Hutchie. Or Brighton, more specifically, which is why the echoes of your house are permeating through the podcast because such is the size of the place that you're renting as part of the make good for your neighbour uh, single-handedly destructing your home with water damage. Good morning to you, Damo. And uh, on a more serious note, the night on Australian television last night was was journalism uh, old school. It was two completely different stories of completely different social significance. On the ABC on Four Corners last night at 8.30, we had the... Canberra bubble story and Louise Milligan, who's been a big part of it and driving the story and the situation surrounding Christian Porter. And then you had Oprah with Harry and Meghan. Hard to know where to start. Uh, which caught your attention first of all and what did you watch mostly? I, I watched the Four Corners report. I haven't yet seen the Meghan report, but I feel like I uh, was across that because our mate uh, over in the States, Brad Blanks, was live texting us uh, the developments in that story, Archie. Um, again, I, I've recorded that part of it, haven't yet seen it, will do so, but as far as a media event goes um, internationally, that is right up there, I, I would think. So there's a couple of things from a journalistic life flick, by the way, between both, and uh, caught up a little bit on them both afterwards. So uh, I watched most of both, but none of all. A uh, couple of couple of terms in the Harry and Meghan, where we could start there for you, Damo. Harry talked about the invisible contract, which on pressing from Oprah, and by the way, it was an old school journalistic get from Oprah. Well done to Oprah. That was journalism at its purest to get a big subject in a prime time slot that can go around the world. doesn't get much more journalistic than that. The invisible contract was what Harry talked about as being an unspoken rule between the royal family and Fleet Street that if the royal family give access, then Fleet Street report favourably. How many invisible contracts, Damo, have you been party of or known about in your journalistic life? <laughs> None, to be absolutely upfront. There may be a perception of, of certain arrangements, Hutchie, but to, to actually say they exist in a, in, a, in a form where every single party knows about them, I, I, I don't think so. And I don't think you, you would have even come across such matters. I, I wouldn't have thought. Not, at, not well, at the levels of journalism that you and I reached anyway. Well, invisible contract was a term used by the royal family. We've often talked about these themes. I argue there's almost always one. I think invisible contracts between the media and the subject happen regularly and frequently. They're certainly prevalent in politics. No question we're seeing that at the moment. The, The notion that the royal family feared the press coverage and spent a lot of time worried about that would have would have been confronting to some people. Was that the I know there's a lot more deeper things to explore, but this is kind of our cup of tea, the, the media side of things. What did you think of that? Did you, can you believe that the royal family were as paranoid about the press con- the press coverage as Harry indicated that they would be? 
Well, a couple of things to take out of it, Archie. Are you going to believe everything that Meghan and Harry have said? Because I'm not. So so I need to say that from the outset here, because just because they've said it and they've said it on camera, I'm not necessarily, as a consumer, going to take everything at 100% face value. To your question, to to your question about uh, the fear, of of course. I mean, the the whole, I mean, you can can insert a a football club in Melbourne. You can insert a a rugby league club in in Sydney. You can insert a a cricket team into this conversation when you talk about a a big organisation fearful of media coverage, yeah, the, the the royal family to me has come across regularly as as very fearful of, of what has been done and could you, be done. You talk about being in the tent with the subject and the journalist. He Harry said the part of the in the tent strategy. His my words, not his, was to have the journalists go have their Christmas parties at Buckingham Palace. That would have if you were watching that. You've seen the way that the the royal family is covered. Wouldn't have crossed anyone's mind that the journalists are going there for private Christmas parties. I mean, that was, that was a lift the veil moment on how the institution works with the... He, he inferred that it was a social contract that each relied upon each other. The royal family relied upon the media keeping them relevant, prevalent, and the institution of it being up in lights, and, the, and vice versa. And they were in it together. And he found it difficult because he'd fallen foul, clearly, of the, of the media in the last few years. It was, it was a really interesting... Uh, take on how journalists and a subject rely upon each other you know, on an extreme level. Use of the the phrase "the firm" as well. What, yep. what did you make of that? Because because to me that was another layer of um, of, of derogatory comment about the uh, the institution. No question, it was. I mean, it was it was hard to turn off. It was confronting, and I found there were two simultaneous stories last night that were compelling, and you needed to know as much as you could about both. So, rare night in Australian television. Clearly, it was designed to do a little bit of damage. It did damage, without question, today, right? Like, the the who was it on the racial side of things has become the story of today after Oprah went on her friend Gail King's show this morning in the States and ruled out that it was the Queen or or Prince Philip. So everyone now narrowing on who they think. It, it, it sort of cast everyone as a, a suspect, really. And the conflicting emotions you felt during it. So I felt it was insensitive to do the interview at this time, for starters, because you've got England and London who have been through the worst kind of pandemic and COVID, hundreds of thousands of deaths, uh, still many people who are recovering, locked down, unspeakable public health toll. Their fear, their concerns, or many of their concerns, felt rather insensitive to the plight of the country and what it's been through. On the other hand... I, I found myself finding a little bit for them both and the spot they got themselves in. You know, I felt empathy mm. and, and uh, you know, the, the casual racism suggestion is, is appalling. The Some of the um, way that they say were treated, you can't walk past or ignore, and I felt for their struggle as well. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't be insensitive to that either. So it was really no, hard to kind of marry those two things up. The fact that they were doing a tell-all at the same time as they're denouncing the media intrusion in their lives was really hard to get your head around as well, and yet it was gripping television. So they were the competing thoughts in my head as I watched it. 
The other element, Hutch, and, and we might move off in, in a moment because we're probably getting to that zone where we don't have the uh, the depth of, uh, of knowledge on the on the full topic. But the, the referencing oh, to every topic. The, the suicidal thoughts, Hutchie, which, which is, is a con- serious concern for, for obvious reasons. But but given that this is the the now wife of of Harry, who, who's who's mother diana and, and you recall the time of her passing back in the in 1996 i think it was or 97 one, one of those two years where she was hounded if you if you well you only have to read the the stories and, and and live the moment she was hounded by the media now here we now have another person in the royal family saying that these thoughts are, are very much apparent in in one's in in her head and yet, it's almost being dismissed. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think I think there needs to be a a, a proper listening and an adherence to to what she said in that part of uh, that interview. Yeah, what did Ross Lyon say? You can challenge the behaviour and support the person, and the the behaviour of doing the interview, you can and why, and in the time of it, you can challenge. But I, I don't think that means you can't support the public cry mm. of help. That it, it was a public cry of help last night, and I'm sure that that will they will get the support they need. You're seeing some of the voices emerge in the states today and and supportive of them and that the american celebritydom will be for lack of a better term will rally around won't they i mean yeah yeah you know, well, it was has already yeah and oprah was the perfect person to the interview uh, empathetic sympathetic understanding uh, a neighbor clearly in in santa barbara or montecito that's where they live and that's where oprah calls home and and obviously knows everyone who's everyone in the state. So it was a, it was a, was more aimed at winning the Americans over than it was denouncing the English. But it yeah, you know, I couldn't help but feel for her on that front as well, Damo. I really I really did. And so it was hard to kind of compete. They were all competing emotions for me. Last point. One thing I'm not buying is they weren't paid for the interview. Now I know that they were asked that yeah. question early in the interview and they said that they weren't. And it was clear that they wanted to be asked that question so that they could clear the air on that. But as we've talked about many times on the sounding board, there are ways to be paid without being paid, and almost always that is the case. An example, are you being paid for this interview? No. Is there a commercial benefit to you or anyone associated to you as a result of doing this interview? Would have been a a more appropriate question. Like, it might be something as simple as Oprah's paying the security bills for 12 months or, you know, something like (laughs) that. But that's where my head went, because if $7 million went from CBS to Oprah or to Harpo Productions... The networks were on selling the rights around the world and getting 325,000 US a 32nd slot in the States. There's a money tree going on around this interview. There's not a chance they're not in that cycle somewhere. Now, are they getting a direct check? I'd, I'd agree no. But are they being paid or having services offset somewhere? My head went to the security because it was Harry's clear objective to get his family looked after. And I don't think anyone could begrudge if he said, look, my security entail for the next two years, Oprah is... One and a half million a year by two, it's three million. That's half of what you're going to make. The invoices are coming to you for two years, and but you take the upfront check. I'm okay with that. I've got no problem with that. They've got a hundred million dollar Netflix deal that they've done. Don't forget as well. Um, so they, they are media is their source of income. They are in yeah. the media business. They are media yeah. entities. I'm, 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 not buying they, I'm not buying they didn't get a, uh, a payment of sorts like you um, out, out of that interview. Actually, let's move it on. You you, um, you were all over this. Royal commentators hoaxed into critique of Megan interview before seeing it. Yeah, so hubris kicked in. Four commentators agreed on a YouTube clip to review the show they hadn't yet seen on the proviso that it was embargoed until afterwards. And it, it dealt with hubris and ego. 
And that's what happened. So there was a hoax. They got they came unstuck. Uh, Royal commentators this is right in our wheelhouse when it comes to presenting media products to to the public. So just to back over that, the 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 interview with these four media identities or royal watchers, whatever it is they they call themselves, <laughs> was was scheduled in 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 the pitch to these people within an hour of the Megan interview going to air. These all these four people with egos you couldn't jump over all said yes, we will do it just simply to get their names out there. And and what 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 happened clearly was the people who set them up were pitching them questions about topics that were, were they were just making up yeah, and, I mean, and claiming to have been in the Megan interview, which which couldn't have been possible given it at that point had not been aired. So clearly there's a couple of things that question here. Credibility is, is just out the window for those people and, and clearly that's what they base their lives on. And the gullibility of people who, actually, looking at the faces of these people involved here, I didn't know them before you set this thing through last night, but they've clearly been around a long time. They haven't come down in the last shower, at least on an age perspective. So, so how naive can you be? Put this in perspective. The editor-in-chief of Majesty magazine, Ingrid Seward, Seward, said of the Duchess, to her mind, this was an actress giving one of her great performances. From start to finish, Megan was acting. That's recorded without her having seen the interview before the interview. Royal commentator Richard Fitzwilliams said it was not a balanced interview and Oprah gave the couple an easy ride and being totally sympathetic. And he had not seen it. He said Megan used extremely strong language to describe her relations with members of the royal household. <laughs> so they've recorded this in advance. And look, journalism got just become a new thing. That is highly embarrassing. It does... Nothing for our, my former industry and your current, and it, 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 you understand why people get cynical about the media. Why you'd ever agree to do something like that in advance yeah. of it happening? Appalling. It's, I mean, newspapers particularly, Hutchie, and we've all been part of this arrangement where, so, say you're in the in the lead up to the grand final, and you work on a Sunday newspaper in that particular time, and. There's a, a Saturday night preliminary final, but you want to have all the graphics ready for the, the Sunday morning first thing for the grand final matchup. You have to prepare copy for both scenarios. So I remember those scenarios, and that's just old-fashioned journalism, but I always got scared about hitting the send button on, on both of those articles. So you'd write us. One of them... One of them is wrong. One of them is wrong, and it's not that far-fetched for, for, for the, a quirk in the system to have that as the published article. And then, obviously, Bruce, it's... Bruce, un- this is next level, though. This is, next, this is actually... These are just lies. These so in your, lies, day, your day, Carlton would be playing Richmond. You'd be on deadline. You'd have to write a story saying, well done, Carlton, great win. And then another story saying, fallout for Carlton's going to be big on the back of this loss. And you would send both versions of those stories you're saying to the editor of the Sunday Press so they had them on file in time for... More for the graphic. Um, look, it would have been the period when Brisbane Lions were winning flags. So whoever was playing in that late Saturday night preliminary final, you, you had to have the graphic ready to go, yeah. obviously on both scenarios. So, But this is different. This hoax situation here is – this is ego getting in, in the way of – No doubt. It's hubris. Journalism. And they, 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 wanting to be involved in something they knew was going to rate its socks off. That is the interview itself. But then for a program the way it was pitched to them, to be to be airing within an hour of it going to air was, was what ultimately had them falling over. Well, it, it showed their prejudice. They had a prefix view of what they wanted to feel from that interview, and that is one of the big sins of journalism. It happens all the time. I don't think there were many people who sat down and watched that last night with a fully open mind. 
It became sport, which is why it had such a big lead-up and build-up, why there was misplaced leaks out of it. Like, one of the big commentary in the lead-up was that uh, Megan had gone nuclear on Kate. It never happened. It was bad mail that was written, rewritten and accepted by journalists all over the, over the world. The, the pre-leaks, it had a big kind of Super Bowl-style feel to it. It really did. <laughs> um, it was a, a sage investment from Channel 10 uh, to buy it. I thought they might have run it a little earlier, but I understand probably they got maximum impact ratings-wise out of it. But in reality, people couldn't help. People had a prejudice. People went in barracking for someone in that interview, and it's a bad indictment on how many people you reckon sat down and went, well, you know, Megan's going to hurry out my cup of tea, but I'm going to give this a fair go and I'm going to make my own assessment and opinion. No, no one. Piers no Morgan one. was at it 10 minutes in. You know, it. whatever, you, whatever you, your view was, you, you were able to use that interview to justify why you're already yeah. at that position. What did you make, uh, speaking of, of having a reaction to an interview, the the fascinating Callum Toomey interview with Nathan Buckley. Nathan Buckley, for, for those not totally familiar with the scenario, had not spoken publicly since the Do Better report into, into the quote, the systemic racism of Collingwood Football Club. Nathan Buckley's been at Collingwood Hutchie for all but one year, since 1994, initially as a player, assistant coach, and then coach. There's been one year gap in that time frame for him. So he chose to speak with Kellen Toomey on AFL.com. I, I, I think as far as a media exercise goes, and obviously I've got a bias here given the organisation with which he chose is the one I work for, but I think in, in, a, in an ability to, as a, as a media product, present your side of a situation. I don't think it could have worked any better for what uh, Collingwood and Nathan Buckley would have hoped to have got out of that situation, which is, again, the latest chapter of a very, very dark period of this football club. Well, it's a step in the right direction. His ability to catch the mood of the room and articulate it is as good as anyone in footballs. And just notwithstanding the, the failings of his club in the last several years, I thought on the certainly on the racism, casual racism conversation that's going on around his club, he hit the right mark in terms of acknowledging that he'd, that he'd walked past it a couple of times. And I think yep. the other thing that I respected was he identified an occasion he would have, could have done better, which was the 2017 press conference. When you go back and give specifics, it adds credence that you are taking it seriously. Often, often it's the journalist saying, on the on this day in 2017, you said this, Nathan, and him being forced to defend it, where he proactively tabled that in the conversation as a, as a time he would have had his time again, he would have handled it differently. So I thought it was a step in the right direction, and it clearly showed a lot of the, f- the flaws of the other areas of the club. I thought on the Adam Trelaw issue, he probably didn't... I know that he went on to qualify what he said, and that did, doesn't get run on the news grabs. But his conversation around how Adam Trelaw and Phillips handled it differently probably wasn't needed. That's mm. it, it did. I guess again he qualified it really well afterwards. But he he would he's been around long enough to know that the grab the ten second grab on was going to be interpreted as a criticism of Adam, and and it was it was interpreted that way unfairly or otherwise, and probably didn't do much to uh, mend those wounds, which. Uh, continue to fester. So I thought on 95% of it he was terrific and on the, on the Trelaw stuff he probably 
fist in dangerous areas a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you with the Trelaw thing. And I, I don't see any comparison at all with Tom Phillips, as good as Tom Phillips is as a player. It wasn't Adam Trelaw. And Tom Phillips, as we know, Hutchie, by, by, by raising his name in the conversation, Nathan was saying that he embraced the, uh, the the need for a change. Well, as we all know, Tom Phillips had, had broached this particular topic the year before himself when he explored the market. So he was of a view and had an open mind to get out of Collingwood, whereas Adam Trelaw, as we have since established, did not. So there's, there was almost no comparison in that regard. I know we've talked about it, but I don't think you can sell connection as your product and then argue that it's professional business when you make a blue on the salary cap and you have to throw one out the window. Like I don't think you, I don't think those two go together. If you no. if you're truly connected, you're not making errors like that at the first in the first instance. Anyway. But Hutchie, I'm big on the, the the rubbish that footy clubs bang on about, about being one in and all. You know, as we both know, Hutchie, what, once your career finishes at a footy club, and, and you may be a six-game player, you may be a four-time premiership player, but there is no guarantee that you are going to have a connection beyond the moment of that contract expiring. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm over the messaging of footy clubs that they keep banging on about. And, and the Trelaw thing we discussed at the time on this very matter, Nathan Buckley is, is as good a media performer as there is is right now. He, 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 he to me is, is still a, a standout when it comes to media. So he has got the ability to, to talk about topics in, in certain ways that are media friendly. And you're, you're referencing to him referring to the uh, the 2017 press conference was a perfect example of that. He was in a real bind, Hutchie. He was in a real bind with what he had said publicly about not hearing the nickname that the Collingwood players were, were, were subjecting Her- Heretia Lumumba to, and also his treatment of it. And yet, the way he then referred to that, and, and, and I think this is very clever, and I took a bit out of this aspect of it, that by, by reacting to it and pushing back on the claims being made by Heretia, it is actually part of the systemic racism that the report conveyed. But unless he got out of it in such a clever way, to me, he was backed into a corner, given what he had said publicly about certain things. Yeah, he handled it very, very well. Uh, You you didn't watch Four Corners, or you you watched it last night? And what did you make of the Canberra bubble story by Louise? Yeah, I I did watch that one. I I was out, um, family-wise, and take both programs, decided to watch the Four Corners one. Uh, Again, the second part of the the bubble in Canberra, to which Louise Milligan has has put together just extraordinary old-school journalism. Uh, I want to talk about the Christian Porter press conference of last week, though, Hutchie, in in a a media sense, and and it would be so much easier if we weren't talking about the the subject of, of why he spoke. But... We will, because that's what we do on this show. At that stage, at that stage, the public was not aware he was the person being spoken about. Now, we live in the media bubble, and I'd I'd be staggered if there was one person who's full-time in media who wasn't aware that Christian Porter was the subject of the conversation. But in terms of the wider public, again, how could you know what percentage to put on it? But I don't think too many people in the public would have known. So take me through his decision to have the press conference, and then we'll talk about the press conference itself, but Think. confront the cameras and, and put his name into this scenario. I'm interpreting that you think it was the wrong decision for him to face the media. I still haven't got my head around that. I, I thought it was extraordinary when we knew the day before that he was going to do a press conference at 3pm the next day. 3pm came and went, and it was about maybe quarter past three that he fronted, and by then we knew it was going to be him, and then he... Volunteered his name. He he went quite specific at times on the allegations, but then when it suited him, said that he hadn't read 
certain parts of the allegations and was being told certain allegations, there was I, – I still don't get my head around why he did it. And, again, I don't believe too much of what he said. When you say you don't believe too much of what he said, elaborate on that for me. You, you're casting down – I think he's being very economical with the, the truth. I mean, to, to – Again, he got into detail, remembering a bowl of prawns, as he says, he referred to it himself, and yet he can't remember having any uh, correspondence with the, the the person in question beyond this this debating week um, that that happened back in 1988, and he was very careful how he was happy to refer to some parts of it, but not but not other key elements of it. So you can have it both ways. You can't say that I haven't read the report or read the allegations, but I'll refute these parts of it. You, you can't have it both ways. You're either do, all in on it, all of it or, or you, you don't do it, is my you, take on, on it from, from a media exercise. You think he's obviously read the report, right? Yep. And you think Scott Morrison's read the report? I think Scott Morrison's read the report. And you know what? If he hasn't read the report, he should because he, oh, is, the, he is the Prime Minister of this country and it was sent to him personally. And if he hasn't read it, we've got a problem. Because if he, if he chose not to read it because of legal implications or ramifications for him, well, get, get us another Prime Minister. How, how did it make you feel? Is it, make, is it forced you to... Sick. Confront? Sick. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. For, for so many reasons. Um <sighs> And again, this is not. To, again, I don't want to debate this on did he did he do it because how would anyone know? And this is the, the problem with it. It's thirty three years ago, but but for it to play out the, the way it's played out, I, I'm I'm sickened by it for, for what it's worth. Given this, there was an awareness of this for for so long before it became public in the way it did, and uh, I'd like to get your take on it. It's it's a confronting issue because we. I don't feel equipped well enough to um, form an educated opinion on it. I've always felt innocent until proven guilty was a, a theme of life. But in recent years, I've learnt to my own lament that we need to take any claim and accept it as being yep. serious and true. And those two thoughts compete with each other, and that's an evolution of all of us trying to understand... I'd like to see an inquest. I think we need one. Like, what is the downside to have an inquest into this issue and to take it? it allegations like this and voices like hers need to be heard, and need to and need to be respected. And yep. to that tone, an inquest it feels like the sense common sense thing at at the core level of respect to do. Um, I don't proclaim to know what did or didn't happen. But I, I think it would be appalling to walk past the allegation and just get on with things because it didn't yep. become a police claim, particularly and, 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 uh, in in an area like Canberra where there is clear evidence of behaviour not being up to public standard in Canberra on whatever level you, hmm. you, you decide to, to judge that. And we need an inquest. That, that's you. Again, I don't want you to do what you often do here when I talk. Start talking about Morrison and, and Turnbull and, and whatnot. Let's just let's just debate this. But he thinks he's clever by by pushing it off, referring to rule of law, and and prior to that, he just thought he was smart. And he's a smug person when it comes to to, to being out of his comfort zone when it comes to the the previous issue with the Brittany Higgins allegations. He, he felt it was a clever media strategy to talk about what his wife said to him and and to to treat this issue as though 
it's our daughters. I mean, what sort of leader actually addresses these issues like this? And I'll tell you what I also think on this, Hutchie. He's doing this to just prolong the debate around it in the hope that it eventually goes away. And he is just giving soundbite upon soundbite in the hope that it disappears. And that, that to me, is the bigger problem because these issues are now very much linked in terms of what Louise Milligan has put together now in two very, very um, detailed Four Corners reports about there being a massive problem there. And, and, and his attitude toward it, a bit like what Nathan Buckley has admitted to in hindsight, that his admission yeah. to, that, that he didn't do enough at the time, that to me, that's where it's at at the moment. Well, by not wanting to be part of the solution, he's, he's by extension part of the problem. Yep. Really. And I mean, I know I, the way it works. Back, he, he will hope to, to get on. re-elected. And, and either way, he's going to be out of the system in whatever amount of time it is. And the, 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 the things that really need addressing are not going to be clearly dealt with under his watch. These are very uh, complicated issues. And society is having uh, mature modern day conversations for the first time. And that's a good thing. We can't walk past allegations like this. We can't. No. Nah. So just on Christian. So... It, Back to his decision to go public. I mean, he would have felt like everyone knew anyway, right? But he, in the bubble he lives in, everyone didn't know, but he lives in the bubble as 0.0001% of the public. So 99.5% of Australians didn't know he was accused last week. And when he decided to go public, he had to, he had to, to go fully public. He, he's absolutely entitled to defend himself and to deny his innocence. Absolutely. 100%. And he's entitled Absolutely. to a presumption of innocence. But I would think yep. if you were the Attorney General of Australia and you welcome a thorough legal system, you would want an inquest. You would say, I'm opening up an inquest into this allegation about me so everyone can investigate and make their own view. And if you had nothing to fully hide, why wouldn't you expose yourself to that inquest? I feel like you're either in or you're out, right? You can't come forward and say I didn't do it, but then, oh, yeah, that, that bit's a bit hazy and that bit's a bit hazy. So that, that's I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Or the, perhaps the other thing to do was to not put yourself forward and to l- legally and vigorously defend yourself privately until an inquest yep. came or, or beyond. I'm not without human empathy, obviously. Like everyone, I, I was, was hard to watch him, if, if he is indeed innocent, it was hard to watch him suffer in that regard. Yep. Um, yep. If he's if he is guilty, that's a whole other story. But it was it was hard to it, and and I think the questions were fair. So a lot of debate around, you know, uh, Bill Shorten didn't subject himself, wasn't subject to this, and he had ten months in two thousand four. Well, society's moved on in the last seven years, and mm. journalists were entitled in the room to ask those hard questions because he put himself there to make himself known. And the other thing he did is he invited coverage further. So by coming forward, last night's four corners could go into details about him that they couldn't previously. They mentioned many times yep. that the reason they could now do this was because he had identified himself. It's a little bit yep. like Ben Robert Smith from an... Um, uh, not to compare the issues, but compa- from the journalistic tone of things, Ben Robert Smith is the only soldier of a reference because in every story it says Ben Robert Smith has identified himself as one of the soldiers in question. There is a downside to making it public if you're not fully committed to the denial. It didn't feel fully mm. committed. Maybe there's a legal yeah. reason for that. Who knows? And, and there's legal ramifications for, for whatever it is you then say the moment you, you choose to say it. Let's go back to Nathan Buckley, Hutchie. There was a, a report on Channel 7 um, encapsulating the uh, the Callum Toomey interview with Nathan Buckley uh, from our man uh, Tom Brown. And I just want you to just listen to this uh, this last 10 seconds of this 90-second report on, uh, on Nathan Buckley's interview by Tom Brown. 
There's no doubt that everyone involved with the club was disappointed that it came out that way. Buckley did the interview as part of a pre-season mandatory obligation with the AFL website. He'll have to face the media in the lead-up to round one, where he'll be asked more specifics. Tom Brown, 7 News. First I've heard that, a drive-by for the fact that he didn't get the story to a mandatory oh, AFL Tom. interview, but didn't ask specifics. <laughs> More specifics. <laughs> Come on, Tom. What more specifics could you have asked? Did, did you listen and watch the whole thing? Come well, on, Tom. Well, no, I think it's fair from Tom because I saw his tweet this morning about Megan and Harry. And so this is the type of specifics that Tom brings to the table and would have perhaps asked Nathan. Tom's tweet this morning, completely random observation on Megan and Harry's interview. This will really challenge people. They nailed the landscaping at their friend's house. <laughs> As a keen renovator, the cobblestones feature outdoor rug and planting was outstanding. I've told you, Hutchie, the, the mute button there or the block button, which, whichever you want to go with, I think it might be the way to go. Tell me, Cooper Cronk, Hutchie, amazing rugby league player. Can you have a foot in two camps? You, 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 to me, you can't. And I say that because he's got an arrangement with the Melbourne Storm, with which he was a superstar. He's got an arrangement with the Roosters, which he also won a flag with, yep. a premiership with. You cannot, in my mind, have a foot in both camps the way he's got a foot in both camps. If he wants to sell himself as a gun for hire and anyone can purchase his talents and expertise and advice, go for it. But I, I don't. This doesn't sit comfortably with me, Hutchie. That's and I, and I think I, I think I love everything about Cooper Croc until this one. That's un- unbelievably hypocritical from you. You've got a foot in the AFL.com camp, a foot in the Channel Nine camp and a foot in the Sports Entertainment Network via the Sounding Board camp, and a foot in the Triple M camp. And depending on what time of the day it is, is where your content energy goes. That is one of the most hypocritical things I have heard you say in Series 6, Episode 6. So run me through this. Cooper's got two vested interests he provides services for. You've got four. But Actually, you're saying in today's they're, they're modern age... Cheap stations when it comes to an NRL premiership. Oh, so we're talking about the significance of the money, are we? Yeah, no, we're talking about the significance of the the. You the title, more than Cooper. The flag. Your your earnings Sport are more than Cooper. Far more important than the rubbish we do. But right, you do so raise you, a good point. You, you, you provide AFL dot com, Channel Nine, our business, and Triple M your services, and and you're all leading the charge on Cooper not having two employers. I've heard it all. I'm regularly on record saying I've got as many conflicts as anyone's ever had, Hutchie. So I'm on. I'm on record as saying it. Oh, that's an embarrassing six love, six love, six love defeat of your argument on Cooper Cronk. You might as well just pack it up and go home with your rackets. It's all over. You talk about you talk about football clubs before, and and this buy in on on connectivity and 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 all in one in all in just situation. On, just on connectivity, this is by the, the same way. Rubbish that Nathan Buckley's trotting out about Adam Trelaw and 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 having him being connected in two thousand and. And twenty, but not at the end of two thousand and twenty when else to move him on. This is the same thing. Club clubs value their intel and their IP in such a way, Hutchie, that you can't have someone walking in and out of certain clubs whenever he wants to. Thank you, linesman. Thank you, ball boys. <laughs> you just don't have any credibility um, in this space. By the way, when did connectivity become the word of twenty twenty one, where everyone rips the the con in it? Like it used to be connectivity. Now it's connectivity. Connectivity. Everyone's decided that they've uh, got a different way of uh, um, phrasing the word, but uh, that's another story for another day. I thought the Phil Rothfield exchange on NRL last night with Cooper was good. I thought both gave as good as they got. It was nice to see some old-school journalism questioning it from, from Buzz, and it was nice to see Cooper articulate the way that he did in response. And I mean, the services industry, there's blurred lines everywhere, let's be honest. It's fascinating. Hey, speaking of um, media, 
by the way, Channel Seven uh, was a little bit of a little bit of taking out the trash from Seven about this. They they let slip last night while the two big TV shows were on that their footy coverage is pretty much settled. Uh, so looks like Brian Taylor leading the coverage Friday and Sunday from a calling perspective. Brayshaw, we're told, is a lock for Friday night, so it's a BT and Brayshaw combo. Hamish is yep. the front man. Good ins on the team of uh, Selwood and Nick Nat, but it looks like BT and JB have got the gig, which is uh, full circle from their nine days, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it would be, and, and obviously a continuation of the uh, Triple M marriage. Yeah, the Triple M um, Saturday coverage. So will they call Saturdays together still on Triple M? Oh, James doesn't really go much anymore, but the <laughs> when, when available once every three or four months, he'll be there. And that's the – that's well done to James, by the way. That's a fantastic – he deserves that Friday nights in all seriousness. Great gig and thoroughly deserved by he and Brian. Just uh, eight days out from the season. Yep. Why was it taking out the trash? Well, an event like that with two big names, you'd announce it on a day where you can get some media oxygen, would you? Not on the night when there's two massive stories taking everyone's energy. So are they trying to hide this or slide this one through, are they? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think they're trying to be respectful to Bruce and the exit to not you know, right. put too much uh, over-exposure over into the... Well, look at us, we've now replaced him, and how good's this? You'll see the cheesy yep. photos next week, I'm sure, with them, one of them carrying the footy with the Channel 7 logo on it and all that original stuff that the PR teams do. So I look forward to that. We'll have it all points bulletin out on the cheesy photo of JB and BT and how much they are quote-unquote looking forward to working together. That'll be... Uh, <laughs> One to keep an eye out and for then, for the sounding board for tenant. When we when we get those photos, we can we can revisit the ones you did for the the footy show Hutchie those years ago too. Yeah, guilty as charged on that front. I am no question. Hutchie, that's uh, that's it for another episode of the sounding board for Drinkwise. You won't miss a moment if you drink wise. And if you want to have four employers and criticise someone that has two, you won't miss a moment if you listen to Damo for Drinkwise. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Board podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email thesoundingboard at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Drinkwise.